BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Chronicle sports columnist Scott Osler. During our conversation, we discussed the biggest questions facing Golden State in the second half of the season. Scott, thank you so much for joining me back on the podcast. Uh, you've been a regular this season, which which has been a lot of fun. Um, I think our readers enjoy all your Warriors coverage. I know I do. Um, have you gotten a little bit of a break during the all-star break, I know you write about other topics, so I don't know if it's really that different for you, but have you gotten a little bit of a breather? My life is a break, Connor. <laughs> I, I, I don't need any breaks. I'm good. Uh, my wife got a little bit of break because we watch just about every Warriors game here at home uh, with my wife and my youngest son, Gabe. And uh, I, my wife was, she's okay with a couple of weeks, but when it gets like three or four a week, she's, you know, so she was, break was good for her so it worked out great but (laughs) that's good sometimes just watching basketball is taxing so um i'm happy that she got a little bit of a respite i needed a little bit of a respite just from watching basketball as well um so there's 35 games left in the season where we're a little bit past the midway point but as we know the all-star break is kind of the unofficial midway point of the season so I wanted to talk today about what the Warriors can get out of the second half of the season. And I think one thing that's important to consider here is that the focus in the second half of the season honestly needs to be just as much on next season as it is on this season in the sense that obviously the Warriors want to win. They want to win a playoff berth. They want to hopefully win a, a first-round series. Um, and that would have positive uh, ramifications for the team long-term. Obviously you're getting young guys experience in the playoffs. You're, you're figuring out how guys handle that type of environment. But ultimately I think what matters is well positioning themselves to contend for a title next season. Cause as I've said a million times, winning or losing a first round series, really not a huge deal in the grand scheme of things. What matters is, trying to be contenders once clay comes back and i think what how you handle the next few months is going to go a long way in determining whether or not the warriors are contenders next season um so when you're when you think about the rest of the season i think you need to be um thinking about how every game is going to impact the decision making process for the roster next season, the rotation next season, free agency decisions. And obviously just in a couple of weeks here, we have the trade deadline coming up, uh, which could be an opportunity for the Warriors to uh, position themselves uh, better long-term. Um, so 
I uh, I wrote a piece that that'll be up on the Chronicle Wednesday morning, and I and I and I kind of wanted to go over certain questions that I think are the most pressing for the Warriors entering the second half of the season. And the first one to me is: Will the Warriors trade Kelly Oubre? Um, if you look at the possibilities at the trade deadline, um, I think the only way the Warriors make a a trade of any consequence is if Kelly Oubre is involved in it. Uh, Kelly Oubre is a guy who obviously started the year poorly after getting acquired from Oklahoma city to help replace clay, but has been arguably their most consistent player the past few weeks. And that includes Steph Curry. Um, he's shooting, he shot well over 40% from three in February. Um, he was a menace defensively. Um, he was, you know, thriving in transition. He was doing everything that you wanted Kelly Oubre to do for you uh, when you acquired him. Now, there's two ways you can look at that. You can look at that and say, this guy's great. He's fitting our system well. Let's try to let's try to keep him long term. You know, he he could be a long term piece for us. Or you could also look at this and say, oh, it's great. He's playing really well, meaning that he's going to have more. Uh, he's going to have more equity. He's going to have more stock. Um, to other teams uh, in a potential trade uh, because Kelly Oubre is going to be an unrestricted free agent this summer. It's looking like he'll probably on the open market warrant somewhere in the $20 million range. Um, that's a lot of money for any team, especially for the Warriors who already have the largest payroll in NBA history and are and stand to lose hundreds of millions of dollars with all these fanless games during the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and so there's a question of even if the Warriors would want to pay $20 million to a guy who projects is probably your sixth or seventh man with clayback, you know, he's not, there's not a starting spot for him probably, um, unless you wanted to move Wiggins to the bench, which I, I don't think you want to do. Um, but to me, the bigger question is not whether or not the Warriors would be willing to pay that. Cause I honestly think they, they would. Uh, Joe Lacob has shown throughout his his tenure as the Warriors owner that he's willing to pay big to win big, and I think he'd be willing to do that. The question to me is, does Zubair want to come back? Um, I think he's reasonably happy here. He said he'd like to stay here long term. But, you know, this is a guy who's 25 years old, uh, just starting to enter the heart of his prime. I think he, like all NBA players, has a little bit of an ego, a little bit of a chip on his shoulder he wants the opportunity to prove that he can be a go-to option for a winning team. That would not be the case with Golden State as long as Clay is healthy. Um, you know, he's he's going to have a reduced role potentially on next season's team if he's around. I don't think he wants that. I think he's going to get a, a twenty-plus million-dollar offer from a team that says, "Hey, we think you're like the X factor. We think you're the guy who's going to put us over the top and, and be a real factor in our conference." and you can be a go-to option for us. So I just don't see him coming back next season. And when you, if you don't, if you're not confident that he's going to come back next season, you'd be silly to not at least consider trying to get something back for him before he walks. Right. Right. And there's, there's like, there's two factions here among the fans and the media that I'm sensing is that one is that if you dump Kelly Oubre for maybe a lesser player, who's going to be a contributor in the future, you're basically giving up a year in the prime of, of Steph Curry's very valuable prime years. And you're, you're wasting this year, this, this MVP style year he's having. 
And the other side is kind of that I, your side, and which I kind of see the point in, and I kind of favor, which is with, if you're really interested about Steph and his career and his prime, you got to look beyond this year. You got to look to next year and the year after that, like two, three years down the road. And if you do that, then you got to, you got to think about trading Ubre, which is going to be a very unpopular short-term thing, you know, just like uh, trading Monte Ellis was. You know, remember it's the upper, upper because I it's especially unpopular because you're not going to get back his value in terms of right. you're not going to get back uh, someone who's as talented as him. Um, but you could get back a, a solid rotation piece or two um, who has more years on their on his his contract. Um, you know, names that I've been floated are Thaddeus Young from the Bulls, um, Larry Nance Jr. from the Cavaliers. These are both guys who are good rotation players in the league, can give you a solid 20, 25 minutes a night. Um, they're still in their prime. They're still physically fit and able to, to shoulder significant loads if you need them to. They've both been good players in this league for a while. They're, they don't have that X factor. They don't have the athleticism that someone like Ubre has they don't they're not as physically impressive as Kelly Ubre is um but you know if you don't think Kelly's coming back next season those are two guys in my opinion that could be solid you know seventh eighth ninth men for a legit title contending team you know and so you know as you know to chase a title you need more than superstars I know this is a superstar driven league and the, the teams with the most superstars tend to do well, but the Warriors showed during their recent dynasty that um, they needed quality rotation guys to, to round it out and, and put them over the top. The Warriors have still not been able to find a replacement for Andre Iguodala. They still have not been able to find a replacement for Sean Livingston. Right. As important as someone like Kevin Durant was to the latter half of that dynasty Though I, you can say that between Ubre and, and and Wiggins, they've they've helped replace some of what what uh, Kevin Durant brought to the table, but there's still just a massive glaring hole in terms of what you lost from Andre Iguodala and Sean Livingston. And so I'm not saying you, you you're gonna find someone who can fill those guys' holes exactly, but you need essential role players you need you need these these guys who can be foundations of your team you know and and i know people are down a lot on kavon looney but i think kavon looney has proven that he can be a key role guy you know he's not going to put right. up a lot of points but he tends the doors tend to play well when he's on the floor because he's so smart defensively you need you need guys like that and um i in an ideal world, you'd have guys like that who can actually handle the ball because backup point guard has become a major issue for the Warriors. Brad Wanamaker is not getting it done. Right. Um, obviously, Draymond has the ball in his hands a lot. Steph has the ball in his hands a lot, but they need another secondary ball handler. Um, I'm not sure Jordan Poole's the answer. Juan Descano Anderson can initiate the offense from time to time, but he's not the, ultimately the answer. So someone like Thaddeus Young, someone like uh, Larry Nance, or, and these are just a couple names. There's other guys out there that kind of fit this mold. They can kind of they can kind of help round out the rotation, and they can be that that seventh guy who's going to provide meaningful 
playoff minutes for you, who you know you're what you're going to get from him. And, and uh, you know, I think that's value, especially if you're, if you really believe that Uber is going to leave. Now it's possible the Warriors aren't convinced that Uber is going to leave. It's possible that they believe in their culture enough. They believe in what they're about enough that they believe they can re-sign Kelly Oubre. You think that the Warriors have talked to Oubre's, either him or his agent yet and said, hey, we got to make some hard decisions here. What do you think? What would be your thoughts on coming back next year? You know, to get to gauge his. Um, my guess is that uh, Myers has, Bob Myers has had conversations like that with Kelly and his agent. Um just just kind of gauging but you also have to understand like what's uber probably doesn't want to get traded right now so yeah yeah they're, they're gonna say whatever they need to say to stick around for the season um you know uber had already said even before he played a game with the warriors that he wanted to stay here long term a lot of guys say that though d'angelo russell said that he and we already knew that he knew that he was out the door uh, as soon as he could be. So it'll be a fascinating thing to monitor for sure. But the fact that Kelly is playing as well as he is right now is, is a really good thing for the Warriors. Not just because, not just because it helps them win games, but because, um, you know, hopefully those offers will get a little bit better. Maybe there is a team that is convinced that not only can he help them go deeper in the playoffs this season, but that he can, that they can get him to stick around long term, you know, and they're willing to offer an intriguing piece. Um, you know, the the Victor Oladipo rumors kind of started rumbling yesterday. Um, the Ringer reported that the Warriors were interested in potentially trying to acquire Victor Oladipo from Houston. I was actually able to confirm that, but you have to understand that the Warriors like a lot of players. Just because they they like someone doesn't mean they're willing to do what it takes to get that player. Right. Um, and I, I don't think like, I don't think Oladipo makes a lot of sense because he hasn't been the same player since he came back from that knee injury. He's not shooting the ball extremely well. Um, you know, he's, he's a lot of money and he's a guy who is, is gonna, you know, be an unrestricted free agent this summer. So I'm just not sure it warrants giving up much for someone like that, who, who, uh, you know, you're not even confident will be on the team next season. Um, it, it, because my guess is that he would also not want to be a bench guy, and he would he would slide in as a, a bench player on next year's team. So, um, yeah, there's just not a lot of guys that have been mentioned that I think make a lot of sense. But I do think that the Warriors are in a good position long term. They, they have James Wiseman, great young player. They have that top three protected pick from Minnesota, which is going to be a major asset. Even if they don't do anything major at the deadline, I think they're in a position to contend next season and potentially long beyond that. Yeah, and Bob Myers has pretty much signaled that that's the case, that he's uh, basically thinking about the future. He's not putting all the chips in, in this, this season. We'll have more of my conversation with Scott Osler right after the break. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. 
See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. But one thing, you know, you got you to deal with the fans, like with, with Ubre, for instance, you got to deal with the dreaming factor, the dreamer factor, the, the fans who believe in magic, you know, believe there are certain players who, who forget about the stats or anything else, bring something special to the Warriors that, that contribute to that whole joy factor and all that stuff. And Ubre has kind of wormed his way into the hearts of, of the fans. And so, you know, dumping him for a, a guy who will help next year and everything, that's going to be, it'll be painful for a lot of people to see, but, uh, that's you know, just Bob the Myers, reality of the business. Bob Myers can't be concerned with what Joe right. Schmo at his keyboard is saying. Uh, Bob Myers. You're calling the fans Joe Schmo? Come on, man. <laughs> um, so the next question is, can James Wiseman improve quickly? Um, James Wiseman's development, obviously a major storyline this season, not just for this season really, but the long term because the Warriors are hoping that he can be a true franchise center, uh, something they haven't had in decades. And, you know, it's interesting. James has shown flashes where he just looks absolutely incredible. And you see why he was the number two pick. Um, you know, he's, he's so gifted athletically and physically, but it's also abundantly clear that he doesn't really know what he's doing out there yet. He's, he looks lost a lot of the time, uh, especially defensively. He's making a lot of, silly mistakes. He's out of position a lot. Um, and it almost looks like in some ways he's almost regressed um, over the course of the season, which I don't want to, I don't want to sound the alarms, but that's not super encouraging. I mean, he, he's, he got off to a nice start, but it feels like defensives are starting to figure him out a little bit. And, you know, he had the wrist injury, which, which set him back for a while and he's had a hard time getting back into rhythm. And if you look at the plus minus numbers, the Warriors are significantly better when he's not on the floor this season. Um, they are better with Kevon Looney on the floor than with James Wiseman, even though James Wiseman adds more, uh, scores more points and blocks more shots. Um, you know, they're better with Kevon. So I, Steve Kerr's been facing a little bit of a dilemma. Like how do you juggle the, the present with the future, right? Because you want to make the playoffs. You know that Kevon gives you the best chance to win right now, but you also know that, James Wiseman is your future and that you need to give him minutes, high stakes minutes for him to grow and learn on the fly and in game situations. And so I thought Steve made kind of a big statement by inserting James back into the starting lineup right before the all-star break in that Phoenix game played him, I think 35 minutes. I think that might've been his first time playing 30 plus minutes all season. James was, I think he was like fourth in points per game among rookies, but he was 16th in minutes per game. Um, and, you know, he needs to be closer to that 30-minute range probably just just so he can grow and develop, you know, and learn on the fly. And and, and the Warriors need to – honestly, the Warriors need to be okay with yeah. during Ryan Payne's because his development to me matters more than whether or not the Warriors make the playoffs. Oh, definitely, definitely. And I think that, uh, you know, Wiseman was a good sport when Kerr – took him out of the starting lineup, started him off the bench. And he said all the right things and did all seemed to have the right attitude and everything. But I think Kerr saw some regression there with him coming off the bench, whether it was confidence thing or a chemistry thing with the guys he was playing with or whatever. And, and maybe that's why he's probably going to put him back in the starting lineup more or less full time because he's got to 
this guy's got to develop. If if he doesn't develop, they're in trouble. And yeah, it's a mystery so, thing because you don't know where his development is going to stop. You know, his development might continue until he's 26 years old, you know, just on an upward swing, or it could end tomorrow. Remember Andres Piedrinch, I hate to bring up bad memories, but <laughs> the guy at like 19 looked like he was going to be the next Moses Malone or something like that. He was going to be an impact player, and then he just like faded out by the age of 21 or two or something like that. He was out of the league or out of relevance, so. I don't think Wiseman. Yeah, no, I'm not. Wiseman's not going to be out of the league anytime soon. No, no, no. You know, he, he doesn't have some of the habits. That, yeah. But, but yeah. Uh, this is a critical kind of point, I think, for James Wiseman. Um, you look at a lot of guys, rookie years, they have sort of a breakthrough after the All-Star break where they really start to figure things out and everything comes together. Eric Paschal was great after the All-Star break as a rookie last season, but the Warriors are obviously older, but, you know, um, the Warriors are hoping for something similar from James. You know, if he can figure things out and he's looking like that dominant low post presence uh, who can also stretch the floor a little bit uh, toward the end of the season, then they're going to feel really good about their chances next season. Because the truth is for the Warriors to contend for anything next season, they need James to be a real they yeah. need him to be a legitimate bona fide starting center in this league. I'm not saying they need him to be an all-star yet, but they need him to be, you know, one of the Western Conference's better centers. Um, not, yeah, not only that, but if, if they get into the playoffs, which they most likely will, um, they're going to need to do anything in the playoffs at all. And we don't expect them to get to the finals or anything, but to do anything, they're going to need something from James Wiseman this year in the playoffs. And so if he's going to, if they're going to get to that point, they got to play him. They got to get him up to that, that kind of speed. Yeah. So another thing that is, is really important. That's, that's a question facing the Warriors is which role players warrant a spot in next season's plans. Um, you know, the Warriors, like I said, are obviously trying to make the playoffs, but this is an audition of sorts for, you know, those fringe rotation guys, those, and even some like guys who are firmly in the rotation just to prove that, Hey, I know I've been a rotation player for middling to bad teams for you, but I can, I can be a rotate the same type of, you know, contributor for a winning team or a team that's legitimately pursuing a championship. And um, I'm talking about guys like Damian Lee, uh, Eric Paschal, uh, I believe Damian Lee's contract's not even guaranteed next season, actually. Wow. Um, Pascal's is. But, you know, th- these are guys who the Warriors need to eat up meaningful playoff minutes next season, this season and next season, and they need them to be more consistent. And, you know, someone like Eric Pascal, he's been effective in certain situations. You know, it's been a little bit of a revelation this season. He's, he's thrived as a small ball five. The thing that's concerning to me about Eric is he hasn't proven he can play power forward or small forward for that matter, really consistently at this level. Um, And for him to be a real factor long-term for him to be a rotation caliber player in the NBA for 10 plus years, he needs to play forward at a high level, you know, because the small ball five thing is, is a niche thing, you know, where you're, you know, it's only going to work in super small lineups and, you're not going to want to have that small of a lineup all the time. So if you want to play 30 plus minutes or 25 plus minutes a night, you got to prove that you can be helpful in other ways. And defensively, 
He's shown some flashes here recently, but he's still a work in progress. His help side defense in particular leaves a lot to be desired. And so, look, I think he'll be on the team next season, but they need him to be a real factor. And he and he needs to grow a lot over the rest of this season so that he's a factor come the start of next season for a team with much higher stakes. And Damian Lee, you know, same thing. Damian Lee, I think, got off to a really nice start this season, was knocking down a bunch of threes. Um, you know, he's kind of gone through a little bit of a lull uh, offensively, but he needs to prove that, you know, he's not just like a fringe rotation guy for an okay team. Like he's a legitimate could can be a legitimate like eighth man for a good team. Um, and, and uh, you know, I think he needs to just be more consistent and more reliable the rest of the season to, to ease some of the Warriors concerns in that department. Um, and then there's other guys like, you know, um, there's other guys that to me have a lot to prove Jordan Poole, fresh off the G league bubble, obviously had a really big game uh, against Phoenix the other night. He needs to prove that he can be a legitimate secondary ball handler uh, for this team. This team, as we talked about, needs a secondary ball handler. And I think that Jordan's best role at this level is going to be, you know, as a playmaker for that second unit. He he was drafted as a catch-and-shoot guy out of Michigan, but I actually think there's a lot more to his game. He has some wiggle to his game. He's got some X-factor, which – if he can tap into, um, he can be a real asset. I think I think he his ceiling, his absolute ceiling, is like a legit seventh-eighth man for a good team. He's far from that right now, though. Um, so he he needs to uh he needs to show something. And I think I think that with how much Brad Wanmaker has struggled, that Steve's probably gonna be giving some of those backup point guard minutes to Jordan. And if he can make the most of those, that'll go a long way. He needs to cut up down on the turnovers. He had a ton of turnovers in the Julie bubble. He needs to make smarter decisions with the ball. And then there's the guys who are just completely on the fringe, right? The guys who are at risk of maybe not making the team at all next season. Um, and they have maybe the most improved. Um, Bondescano Anderson, Nico Mannion, Alan Smilegeach, Michael Mulder, even Marquise Chris. Um, we're not even sure if Marquise Chris is – going to have an opportunity to show anything because he might be done for the season that hasn't been decided yet but um, I feel for him because I'm just not sure he's going to get an opportunity to pr- his contracts over after the after the season and and I'm just not sure he's going to get an opportunity to prove much of anything because the Warriors aren't going to have a lot of front court minutes to go around Von Looney is helpful they need to give minutes to James Wiseman Eric Pascal provides something offensively Juanis Connor Anderson has, has has been somewhat of a revelation on that two-way contract. And so he might he might already be uh, kind of left out in the cold a little bit. But um, Alan Smilegeach is a guy who was his his he's playing for his NBA livelihood. Um, he, he this is his last guaranteed year, and he had the knee injury and didn't really hasn't really shown much of anything at the G League bubble, which is very discouraging and disappointing and honestly I think he's another guy who might not get much of an opportunity with the NBA team to make much of a case this season I think he's probably best case scenario on a two-way contract next season he might have to go overseas he might have to go back to the G League um and then uh Nico Mannion 
uh, he's on a two-way deal and he's shown flashes um, as a facilitator. I thought he looked pretty good in Phoenix at times, uh, played, started that game, played meaningful minutes. Um, also so, showed some things in the G League bubble, but has a long ways to go offensively. He needs to he needs to prove that he can defend his position and that he can knock down shots. Um, he's shown that he can be a, a passer in this league, but he needs to show a couple other things for him to stick. And then Juan Descano Anderson to me might be the most most interesting because he's on a two way, um, and you know that that the two way rules are changing to allow them to play more. And he's looked like a complete stud at times, you know, as as with the ball in his hands, rashing up the tempo, finding open teammates, attacking the glass, like bringing the energy, defending multiple positions. To me, he's like the ultimate role guy. And I, I really think that he's already proven enough to warrant a spot in the rotation next season. And I hope he gets it, but he just needs to continue to build off it in that second half. Yeah, one thing about Juan Toscano Anderson, I was speaking to uh, Steve Kerr recently, and we know that Kerr likes him. We know that Steve Kerr likes Juan uh, because he's so solid and he does the right things and his basketball IQ is so high. And and Kerr basically reinforced that. He just, he loves how smart this guy is, how, what a high-speed chess player he is. So I'd be surprised if he wasn't in the mix in the future because Kerr feels that his style of, of ball, offensive ball especially, but also defense, requires a, guys who can really think and think quickly and think ahead. And, and Juan has that kind of rare talent. And by the way, the folks listening in, uh, if you didn't see Connor's recent story, that he, a feature story that he wrote on Juan Toscano Anderson, you got to get it and read it because it's a, it's a freaking brilliant story. And it's an amazing story. And, and well-written, by the way, Connor. I don't mean to kiss up to you too much. Well-written. <laughs> well, actually, Scott, it hasn't run yet. Uh, I, know, I, know that you, I know that you saw a oh, Okay, it hasn't run yet. Okay. It hasn't run yet, and it's looking We're giving like, him a preview then. I wonder if he has <laughs> It's look looking out. like it's not going to run until next week, but I appreciate that. I do have, yeah, a big, like, almost 3,000-word opus on Juan Scott Anderson coming on the pipeline, so be on the lookout for that. Um and, uh, you know, the, the last question, and it's not even like specifically Warriors related, but it's important, is will Minnesota finish with a league worst record? Because that top three protected pick for Minnesota is incredibly important to that long term outlook of this team. Um, in an ideal world, the Warriors would have the Timberwolves would would fall at four or five in the draft lottery that would go to the Warriors and they'd pick at four or five in a draft that is considered to be one of the best in recent memory. Um, talking to draft experts, there's five guys who look like franchise players. And those are Oklahoma State's Kate Cunningham, G League Ignites, Jonathan Kaminga and Jalen Green, Gonzaga's Jalen Suggs and USC's Evan Mobley. And so if you're drafting at four and five, you could obviously draft one of those guys potentially. And uh, I think a lot of, I think a lot of fans don't fully understand how the draft lottery works. And they think, Oh, well, obviously you don't want Minnesota to have the worst record because then the Warriors won't get that top three protected pick. Well, actually you want the Warrior, you want the Timberwolves to have the worst record because if the Timberwolves have the worst record, they cannot finish worse than fifth in the draft lottery but they actually have a 60% chance of drafting four or five. So that spot 
So the Warriors would have a 60% chance of getting that fourth or fifth pick if the Timberwolves finished with the worst record in the league. Where and then uh, you know they would they'd have a 40% chance of it, it going and staying with Minnesota and going top three. In which case the Warriors would get the unprotected 22-2022 draft pick from Minnesota, which is also a great asset because. Um, Minnesota is really bad, and I don't think they're going to be good anytime soon. And so you're probably st- get, still going to get an early lottery pick in 2022 in a draft that's not as strong as this draft. But you know, any early lottery pick is a is a huge asset. And so, um, you know that that's a, definitely something worth monitoring. If I'm if I'm a Warriors fan, I'm I'm checking standings every day, seeing how Minnesota's doing. Minnesota has at least three fewer wins than any other team in the league. Their second best player, Malik Beasley, is not coming back for a little while after getting suspended for getting arrested a while ago. Um, they're just a complete mess. They have a, uh, an interim coach um, after they fired Flip Saunders, son Ryan Saunders, a little while ago. Um, and looking at their schedule, this website, tankathon.com, ranks the strength of schedule for the rest of every NBA team schedule and it has Minnesota having the fourth toughest schedule the rest of the season. They still have two more games against Utah. They have another, they have two more games against Phoenix. Those are the two best teams in the league. They have another game against Philadelphia. They have another game against the Lakers. So honestly, I think they need a mini miracle to not have the worst record in the league, um, which the Warriors should feel really good about. Yeah. Just to be clear, it's not the Warriors draft pick. It's not dependent on how Minnesota finishes at the regular season. It's after the ping pong ball draws to see where they actually draft. Right. Right. It's, 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 you know, the lottery, it's going to be dependent on the lottery, but where they finish the regular season uh, affects their lottery odds. So, you know, if they finished one of the, I think three first records in the league, they have only a 14 they have a 14% chance of getting the number 1 pick and a higher chance of getting you know later in the top 5 um, right now with the uh, with the with the worst record in the league they would have the a 14% chance at number 1 a 13.4% chance at number 2 a 12.7% chance at number 3 a 12% chance at number four and a 47.9% chance at number five. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, the Warriors would have a really good chance of drafting at number five in a draft where you're going to get a really good player at number five or number four for that matter. Um, so that's super encouraging. Yeah. Uh, Scott, always enjoy having you on. So true again this week. Um, always appreciate your insight and your, your candor. Uh, where can our our readers and listeners uh, find all your stuff? sfchronicle.com and on Twitter at, at Scott Osler. Our thanks to Scott Osler for joining me on the podcast. It's always fun talking Warriors with him. Warriors Off Court is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. Support Warriors Off Court in the newsroom that creates it by signing up for a Chronicle membership at sfchronicle.com slash pod. 